listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Last week, Adam explored fasting, and the week before, Ian invited us to consider justice as a worship. And today, I want us to look at rhythms around reading the Psalms and praying the Psalms. But first, let me give us just a little bit of, of background. Uh, background on reading and praying the Psalms. Since, since around the 300s, uh, when the church calendar emerged, the church calendar that gave us Christmas and Easter, uh, Christians have been reading and singing the psalms regularly. Uh, the church calendar actually assigned certain psalms to certain days. And by the 500s, if you were a monk or a nun in a monastery or convent in Europe, you would be singing through the whole book of psalms, all 150 of them, every single week. Um, you know, the first book that was printed in the American colonies was actually the Psalms. It was the Bay Psalm book in 1640. Um, and Benjamin Franklin in the 1740s noted uh, that in Philadelphia, you couldn't walk through town in the evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street, as he put it. Um, today, many denominations have a lectionary or a Bible reading plan um, that includes reading the Psalms every day. Why are the Psalms so important that we would choose to read them regularly, even perhaps daily? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. Um, they are the Bible's prayer book. They're the largest concentration of prayer in Scripture. In essence, they offer us a kind of school of prayer. They model prayer. They even give us a cheat sheet for praying. If you don't know how to pray, if you don't know what to pray, if you don't have words, no worries. Just open the book of Psalms. It's all there. You know, another reason to be reading the Psalms as part of a, a spiritual rhythm, and I think this may be the be-all, end-all reason, is simply because Jesus did. The Psalms were so integral into his spirituality as a, as a young child, as a young adult, um, that they became part of who he was. So much a part of who he was that as an adult, we find him quoting the Psalms liberally and praying them spontaneously. A classic example is when Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A line uh, that's lifted directly from Psalm 22. Personally, I haven't done a lot of psalm memorizing in my life, but early on in my walk with Jesus, I, I memorized two psalms that remain with me. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and so forth. And also Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth and so forth. I remember writing these psalms in my journal and then writing them on a piece of paper with marker and kind of nice handwriting and sticking it up on my dorm room wall just to help me to memorize it. And then when I was a junior in college, my grandmother passed away. 
And I remember visiting her in the hospital just before she died. Uh, she couldn't talk. She couldn't even open her eyes or really let us know that she knew that we were there. Um, I remember not knowing what to say in those moments, but I was carrying these two Psalms in my heart. And so I thought I could share these. And I did. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. And as I was, as I was reciting these psalms, sharing these psalms with her, I noticed tears welling up in her unopened eyes, rolling down the sides of her face. And I knew that God was present in those words. Let's take a minute just to, to talk practically here. Um, what might it look like to develop a rhythm around the Psalms? Well, I think it could look like a lot of different things. It could look like reading a Psalm in the morning regularly or in the evening regularly or at another time of day. There have been seasons in my life where I would return to the same Psalm every morning for a week or weeks or even months. Um, uh, Howard Thurman, the noted African-American theologian, uh, was known to pray Psalm 139 daily throughout his adult life until his death at the age of 81. Talk about building a rhythm around the Psalms. Another way uh, to develop a rhythm around the Psalms is simply to follow a lectionary, finding one that feels like a good fit for you. Um, for a few years, I followed uh, a lectionary that had... Um, a reading plan around the Psalms, which you cycled through the Psalms every month. So it would assign two or three Psalms per day. And at the end of the month, you sort of started that cycle again. Um, and actually, I'm going to make that uh, resource available to you if that's something that you would just like to experiment with and try, and maybe you'll find that that's a good fit for you. But I, I, I wonder if you're thinking, what about redundancy? I mean, doesn't reading the same Psalms over and over, doesn't that get old? Here's the thing, the Psalms, as you read them over and over, become richer and richer because they mean something a little bit different each time you read them. Each time you come to the Psalm, you're in a different place, in a different circumstance. You're in some ways a different person and God may have something different to speak to you. If you wanna test this, I say, just pick a Psalm and read it aloud every morning as a prayer for a week. And I bet that different parts of it will stand out to you on different days. And that even a particular line or phrase might mean something different to you on one day than it will the next. I do want to give a little caveat here. I said that the Psalms get richer and richer as you revisit them over time, but this isn't necessarily true if you're just reading them to read them. I think you kind of have to get inside them. You know, it's been said that a psalm is a little bit like stained glass windows on a cathedral. On the outside of a cathedral, or really any church that has stained glass windows, have you ever stood outside and looked at that and said, you know, what's beautiful about that? On the outside, nothing, right? The stained glass window is, is really nothing on the outside. But when you're inside that cathedral and the sun is, is streaking through those colored panes of glass, it can be breathtaking. Well, getting inside a psalm, as it were, I mean, that's kind of poetic language to really talk about praying a psalm or using a psalm for prayer. 
So how do we do that? I think practically speaking, that could look like simply reading it in a prayerful way, quietly or you know, silently. Could also mean reading the 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 uh, psalm aloud as a prayer on your own. It could look like memorizing uh, either a whole psalm or a few verses in a psalm. It could look like transcribing a psalm in a journal. It could look like writing a tune for a psalm and singing it. I mean, that's what the psalms were originally written as. They were written as songs. You could find a recorded um, song based on a psalm and and listen to that or sing along with that. Um, One of my favorite bands is the Sons of Korah. They're an Australian band, and they are writing um, a song for each of the psalms. And they're really sticking to the wording of the psalms very closely. And... um, I could just listen to to their renditions of the Psalms over and over again. So those are just a few ways of getting inside a Psalm. So now we come to the question that I think everyone who sets aside time to read through the Psalms bumps up against. Should we really be spending time with all the Psalms? I mean, what about the really hard Psalms? There are some harsh Psalms. You know, often as Christians, I think we don't know what to do with those hard psalms. They can be really confusing, and they can be quite disturbing. But they show us that God can handle our doubts, our sorrows, our anger, that he makes room for us in our many glaring imperfections. The psalmists weren't perfect. I think these hard psalms show us that uh, that God does not require our prayers to be pretty. He would much rather us pray an ugly prayer than to not pray at all. I think they also show us that when we have doubts and sorrows and anger, really the best thing that we can do with those things is bring them before God. Even to take time to express and articulate them before him. I really want to drill down here for a moment and talk about anger. You know, in contemporary Christian culture, it seems to me that we just don't do anger well. We tend to try to avoid it at all costs. Somewhere along the line, many of us have come to believe the lie that anger is sin. Anger is not sin in and of itself. In fact, I would say if we are not angry about certain things that happen in our world, there's something wrong with us. Even Jesus is angry at times. The problem is that though anger is not sin, it can lead quite easily to sin. And in that sense, it is dangerous. There's a new book that I'm uh, reading, a new book that's out called Open and Unafraid, The Psalms as a Guide to Life by David W. Taylor. And he says in this book, he talks about these um, psalms of anger as showing faithful anger. And I just am fascinated by that term, faithful anger. And as I've sat with that and thought about what I think he means by that, I think he means anger that is submitted to God. Anger that is submitted to God. And that's, I think, what we see in these Psalms is anger that is submitted to God. The Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf says that um, When it comes to raw human anger, there's only truly one safe place, 
that we can bring it. You know, raw human anger is not safe in the silence of our hearts. If we keep it under a tight lid for too long, it will eventually explode and there will be collateral damage. But raw human anger is also not necessarily safe in the presence of others or out in the public square where it will end up hurting others very often and alienating us. But raw human anger is entirely safe in the presence of God. God receives us with our anger, however ugly it is. No matter how angry we are, when we come to him with it, he doesn't turn us away. Eugene Peterson says, The way of prayer is not to cover our unlovely emotions so they will appear respectable, but expose them so that they can be enlisted in the work of the kingdom. How amazing is that? God wants to enlist our unlovely emotions in the work of the kingdom. But of course, first, we have to bring them to him. We have to submit them to him in faith. I want us to take a moment to look at an angry psalm. We're going to look at Psalm 10. And here the psalmist is angry about people who are in positions of power who abuse their power. They don't fear God. They seek to murder innocent people. Here are a few selected verses from Psalm 10 that give us a, a taste of the psalm. The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. They lurk in ambush in the villages, waiting to murder innocent people. Their helpless victims are crushed. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. Arise, O Lord, punish the wicked, O God. Do not ignore the helpless. Break the arms of, the, of these wicked, evil people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. Wow, these are angry words. These are raw, uh, these are harsh, these are disturbing words. But instead of just glancing over them and moving on because we really don't know how to deal with them, I want us to slow down for a minute and just see if we can decipher a little of what's happening here as the psalmist is writing this. First, I think the psalmist very clearly is crying out against injustice, and that's a good thing. He's naming the injustice that he sees. He's refusing to ignore it. He's refusing to be silent about it. Secondly, he's naming the punishment that the injustice deserves. And, you know, the harshness of that punishment that he's prescribing in this psalm for his enemy, I think it speaks to how heinous the crime is, the offense. He doesn't let us get away with thinking, oh, it really wasn't that bad. No, the offense was heinous. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And in essence, the psalmist is naming the wages. Finally, and I think this is perhaps the most important of the three things that I notice going on in the psalm here, is that the psalmist is actually relinquishing his desire for vengeance to God. Now that is very easy to miss. And I think it might be the most important thing that I say all morning. So please don't miss it. 
the psalmist is actually relinquishing his desire for vengeance to God. Notice that the psalmist doesn't doesn't say about his enemies, I'm going to get them, I'm going to make them pay. No, he tells God what he wants God to do. He says, Lord, you get them, you make them pay. But in sharing with God what he wants God to do, he's also essentially saying, God, that's what I want you to do. But in the end, it's really up to you. You're God. And I trust you to handle this. I trust you to vindicate the innocent. The psalmist is hands off. He exposes his enemy's sin, but then he releases his enemy to God. This is really important. The psalmist is letting God decide what justice looks like, what vindication looks like and when these things will occur. So what happens then when we read this psalm through the lens of the New Testament? We know from the Gospels that Jesus died for all, that all might be saved. And that includes our enemies. We know that Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies. Did Jesus call down fire on Judas? No, he washed his feet. Did he curse his executioners? No, he prayed for them and he forgave them. And so in the end, um, as the author David Taylor says, we name our enemies and we love them. We expose them and then we release them. We rebuke them and we serve them. You know, there's one final reason that the psalms of anger, sorrow, and doubt have a really important place in our rhythms, I think. And this is it. Because we know that right now, somewhere in the world, someone is experiencing the raw anger or the raw sorrow or doubt that is expressed in these psalms. There's someone right now for whom the words of Psalm 10 aren't just words on a page as they may be for some of us this morning. These words are the actual cry of their heart. And so we read these psalms, these harder psalms, to instruct our hearts in the plight of others, to ready our hearts to act when we meet them. And we read these psalms to remember that even when we are having a good day, the world has not yet been made right. And God has a part for us to play in making it right. And that starts with letting him form in us a heart of solidarity with the poor, with the marginalized, and with those who are suffering under injustice. Right now, we are living in a cultural moment when the cry of the oppressed is ringing loudly throughout the land. Can you hear the cry of the oppressed ringing in the land? So when our rhythm around the reading of the Psalms lands us in a Psalm of anger or doubt or lament, I say don't skip it, read it. Dare to step inside it. Dare to step inside it on behalf of another. And see if you hear in those ancient words the echo of someone today who is suffering perhaps because of structural biases in our society, perhaps because they're suffering structural biases of race or biases around ethnicity or other biases that divide our society into those with privilege 
and those without. As you're reading these harder psalms, I invite you to let God expand your heart. Let him deepen the muscles of your empathy. Let him prepare you to bear witness to another's pain. And when the psalm of sorrow or doubt or anger that you're reading gets just a little too heavy to bear, keep reading because in almost every psalm of anger, doubt, or lament, in almost every psalm that comes from a place of deep pain, there is a looking up. There's a turn. There's a hope. Because the psalmist inevitably remembers something very important. That God that is, that God actually hears. God really does hold justice in his hands. He cares about justice. And he will surely pour out his mercy and his love to all who call on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that is the Psalms. This prayer book that Jesus prayed from, that many people throughout the centuries have prayed from, and that we get to pray from too. Help us to learn from the Psalms, to pray with our hearts and minds as an open book before you. Help us to trust you with the hard things that we read in the Psalms and the hard things that are inside us too. We also pray, Lord, that you would use the Psalms to deepen our compassion for the hurting in our worlds. May our coming to you in the Psalms and our coming to you in our prayers never fail to lead us to hope. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 